It's good to see you all this morning. Well, some of you, some of you, I'm just seeing black screens there. I'm going to go ahead and mute this TV here. Hopefully, that'll be a bit better so there won't be much of an echo there. Uh, again, my name is Jim Fox with, jo with Chosen People Ministries. Chosen People Ministries is an international ministry reaching out to Jewish people with the gospel wherever Jewish people are found. We're there. We're in 18 different countries throughout the world. And um, again, wherever there's a major Jewish population here in the United States. Uh, this is, these are interesting times we're living in, isn't it? Uh, it's interesting talking to a uh, computer camera and speaking to you there. My wife is actually in the audience there somewhere as well. Uh, but this gives us an opportunity that we may not have had before. So thank you for tuning in. Thanking you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Uh, to be honest, one prayer request I'll throw out here at the very beginning is uh, our ministry, usually this time of the year, around the time of, of Passover, around the time of uh, the celebration of, of Easter, uh, we as a ministry had over 700 meetings scheduled in various churches uh, from about February 1st to May 1st. Uh, more than half of those have been canceled. Uh, even when the technology is available, a lot of pastors are wanting to speak to their congregation. So I re really appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to share this way. Just to share a little bit more about our personal ministry, my wife and I live in South Florida. This is actually the South Florida office of Chosen People Ministries. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but South Florida is the, the second or third largest Jewish population in the United States. Uh, the first is the New York City area, and then between South Florida and South California, California, there's uh, uh, quite a bit of Jewish people in both of those areas. Uh, here in South Florida, we have three quarters of a million Jewish people. Uh, in Palm Beach County, the county where we live, 20% uh, of the population is Jewish, one out of every five people you meet. And out of that Jewish population, two-thirds are over the age of 55. So it's a real scary time for many of the people down here in South Florida. So I'd ask you to be praying for us, be praying for our ministry, and be praying for our ministry on a, a normal basis. Again, right now, ministry is a, a bit strange. We're doing things a lot via telephone, via FaceTime, via Zoom meetings, uh, and then helping people out as, as we're able to with shopping and, and other things, especially those who are older. But before we talk about the Passover, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer together. Lord, we do want to come before you and thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this church and its willingness to have me share this way with them. Lord, I pray that the technology would not get in the way of what I want to share, that they would be able to hear and see everything that you want them to hear and see this morning, and that they would be encouraged and they would be challenge through your word today. Lord, thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin talking about the Passover, first I want to answer a very, very important question, and that question is, why talk about the Passover? Uh, it's a Jewish holiday. It happened so long ago. Right now, there's so much going on. Why even bother talking about it? But even under normal conditions, why talk about 
uh, a Jewish holiday? Well, first of all, it's a it's a biblical holiday. It takes place in the book of Exodus, as, as we read earlier. And because of that, uh, it has value in and of itself. All scripture is inspired. All of it is profitable. So the Passover story itself, in and of itself, speaks powerfully to us uh, about what God did way back when and what it means for us today. Uh, secondly, it's important for us because Jesus celebrated the Passover. The, the Passover was actually that last supper Jesus had with his disciples and uh, him sharing in that context. And what he shared in that context, again, becomes very significant for us. And as you'll see as we go through the, the presentation, being able to connect the dots between what goes on during Passover in a typical Jewish home and what Jesus did, uh, it, it adds significance and meaning for us. And then finally, uh, there are many Jewish populations, uh, many Jewish people throughout the world, again, especially here in South Florida, I'm not sure how many there are there in Bastrop, but uh, again, even in the Austin area, there are quite a few, you might know Jewish people. This is a time of spiritual significance for Jewish people. Uh, we think of Christians, and there are those Christians who only go out to church on Christmas and then Easter and what. Well, when it comes to Jewish people, uh, two other holidays are, that are very significant to them are, are Passover and the Day of Atonement. So understanding the Passover, being able to connect with Jewish people concerning the Passover is a wonderful way to connect with them uh, about the faith. So as we talk about the Passover, the first thing we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about something that happens before the holiday begins. Uh, before the holiday begins, the family will go throughout the home and remove all traces of leaven. Anything that uses bread, uh, yeast to rot, so breads, cakes, all those things would have to be removed. And they would actually be taken out of a, the home in an Orthodox home and burned and first into the effect that all leaven has been removed from our home. So now we can celebrate the feast without leaven. You see, when Israel left Egypt, they had to leave in a hurry. There was no time for the bread to rise. Uh, so they had only unleavened bread. So year after year after that, God commanded that each year they would celebrate by eating only unleavened bread. In fact, God was kind of serious about it. At one point in the scripture, he says that anyone eats bread, uh, if anyone eats leaven during that time, they should be cut off from their people. But I do want to share a scripture with you. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, because Paul actually uses this picture, and it's significant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6, if you're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is having to review, to challenge, to encourage the Corinthians about a lot of different problems and issues that they were experiencing. In chapter 5, it's, it's pretty powerful. It's a matter of immorality. And if you read it, Paul suggests it's not just any type of immorality, but was a sort of immorality that would even make the pagans blush. Uh, and he says here in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, he says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, a leaven, for Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, 
not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. A couple of things I want to point out really quickly about that passage. First of all, the Corinthians were predominantly a non-Jewish church in the early first couple of centuries there. So uh, here Paul is using this illustration of Passover without a whole lot of explanation and expecting them to understand. That tells us that many of the churches, even the non-Jewish ones, understood the Jewish holidays, understood the Jewish feasts, and understood the significance. Secondly, leaven throughout the scripture is a picture of sin. And you have to get the, the heart of what Paul's saying here. He's saying sin corrupts, sin spreads. If you put yeast in dough, uh, it'll permeate throughout the whole dough and make the whole dough rise in the same way sin spreads. If, if you have sin and you do not deal with it, if you do not confess it, if you do not repent of it, then that sin will spread. Not only will it affect your life, it'll affect your family, it will affect the church. So Paul is basically saying that as God reveals sin in your heart, you need to deal with it. Uh, otherwise, that corruption is, is going to be spread. Uh, and he says, therefore, let us celebrate the feast. Well, for us, what's the feast? It's not the Passover, but it's our relationship with the Lord. So he's saying, you need to deal with your sin so that you can have a right relationship. So you can celebrate your relationship with God in a right way. Because sin gets in the way of that communication. Sin gets in the way of our fellowship with God. So he's saying, deal with this so you can celebrate the feast in the right way. So even before the Passover begins, that picture of the strength for leaven is important for us. Now, the holiday actually begins at sunset. Uh, within Judaism, the day is reckoned from sunset to sunset. That goes back to the book of Genesis, where uh, in the creation account, God says, in the evening and the morning was the first day. So within Judaism, Sunset is actually the beginning of the day, and it'll start with the woman lighting the candles. She'll light the candles and say a traditional blessing. And again, that's important for us because as the woman brings light to the Passover holiday, so we know that it was through the seed of the woman, through the virgin birth, that the light of the world came into the world. Now, this again is interesting for me because I know you're listening. But I can't hear any responses here. Usually when I'm in a church, there's some sort of response back when I do things. And when it comes to the Passover, I'd like to have that response, but with Zoom, it's not easy because then it becomes sort of chaotic. So uh, one of the things that are done during the course of the Passover, in a traditional Jewish Passover home, uh, there are four cups of wine that are taken. Uh, each cup has its own meaning and significance. Each cup is considered a cup of joy. And after four cups, you understand people are pretty happy. Uh, I, I know that alcohol is a problem for someone, uh, for some people, and I know that many of us as believers don't partake, but I'm just telling you that's the tradition, that's the way it is. Uh, but those cups have their own meaning and significance, and I want you to see that in Scripture by turning with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Here God is speaking to Moses, and he says in Exodus 6, 6, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. 
I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. In that passage, God gives four promises, four I wills, uh, that are reflected in these four cups. That first promise is, I will take you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God was going to set his people apart from the slavery in Egypt to the freedom of the promised land. That idea of being set apart, we have a theological word for that. It's the word sanctification. See, this is where the problems begin, because I would usually have you repeat that back. Uh, the reason I do that is because we're going to go through a lot of stuff here, and I want you to remember something, so I want you to remember the four cups. So I can't hear you, but I want you to say the word sanctification. Can you do that? I'm, by faith, I'm believing you're saying sanctification right now. Um, the second cup is based upon that second promise, I will free you from being slaves to them. How did God free the Jewish people from being slaves in Egypt? He did it through those ten plagues that he brought upon the Egyptians, those ten judgments. So the second cup is a cup of judgment. You need to say that, judgment. First cup is a cup of sanctification. Second cup is a cup of judgment. Third cup comes from that third promise where God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So that third cup is the cup of redemption. Again, the first cup is a cup of sanctification. Second cup, cup of judgment. And the third cup, the cup of, can't hear you, but that's okay, because I know you're saying redemption. Fourth cup is from that fourth promise where God says, I will take you from my people and I will be your God. Uh, because of that special relationship that Jewish people have with God, they're able to praise God. So that fourth cup is the cup of praise. Uh, so again, first one, sanctification, judgment, redemption, and praise. Early on, they'll take that first cup, that cup of sanctification, and I will say this, um, some of you might have received an email uh, to get certain of these elements together if you're joining me and partaking of the elements. This would be the time where you take the cup. Uh, this first cup of sanctification talks about how God set his people apart from slavery to freedom. But it also sets apart the rest of the Passover evening, the rest of the Passover holiday, as a time of praise to God. Uh, they'll say a traditional blessing, and then everyone will drink. Now again, early on during the Passover Seder, the Father will take something like this. Not sure how well you can see it. I know I'm some distance from the camera. But it's basically a cloth bag that has three sections in it. And in each section, there's a piece of matzah or unleavened bread. Early on, what the Father will do is he'll take the middle piece out, not the top piece, not the bottom piece, the middle piece. He'll break it in half, put half of it back in the matzotash, which is also a matzah holder or a unity holder. He'll take that second half, he'll wrap it up in a napkin, And then this will be set aside. Actually, in a lot of traditional homes, that will be hidden 
during the course of the meal. And we'll come back to talk about that a bit later on. Now, if you ask the question, why is this, this breaking of the, the middle matzah, why are there three matzahs to begin with? Uh, many Jewish people, many of the rabbis have a lot of answers for that. Uh, they, they say, well, the, the three matzahs represent the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, which makes sense, but doesn't explain why the middle one is taken and broken. Others would say that uh, in the, among the Jewish people, you have the people, you had the Levites who did the work in the tabernacle and later on when the temple was made, and then you had the priests who did the sacrificing, one for the people, one for the Levites, one for the priests. Again, that doesn't explain why the middle one would be taken and broken. And then uh, others would explain it by saying on a normal night, you would have one loaf of bread. On the Sabbath, you would have two. And then in honor of Passover, it being the special holiday, it is you have three. But again, that doesn't explain why the middle one is taken and broken. We'll get back to speaking about that piece of matzah a bit later on. Now, in a traditional Jewish home, the, the Passover Seder with the, the meal and everything can last four, five, or six hours. And, you know, since you're in the comfort of your home, you know, Stephen basically said that I can go ahead and do that, so I hope that's okay with you. No, no, just teasing. I can't, I can't see whether you're smiling or frowning now, which is probably a good thing. Uh, but we're just going to go through different highlights and pictures. One of the things that makes a Passover so long during the traditional Passover is they'll actually go through the reading of the Passover story. But during the reading of the Passover story, there's a number of things of significance that they do. One thing that they'll do is the youngest child will get up and ask four questions in Hebrew and in English. Why is this night different from all other nights? And all other nights we either leavened or, or, or unleavened bread. Why in this night do we eat only unleavened bread? And all of the nights we eat all sorts of vegetables and herbs. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? And all of the nights we don't think about dipping, and here we dip twice, and I'll explain what that means uh, a bit later on. We'll, we actually go through the answers to a lot of these questions as we go through the Passover. The fourth question is, on all of the nights we eat either sitting up or reclining, why in this night do we recline? And the idea of reclining is that reclining is a sign of a free person, and God freed the Jewish people from their slavery in Egypt. Now again, right now, the answer to those questions aren't important because they'll be discussed later on, but the fact that the children are involved is significant. But sometimes we get the wrong concept of Passover, that it's a synagogue thing, uh, like uh, we do church things, but that the Passover is actually a family holiday. It's specifically supposed to be done in the home, and the children need to be involved. That's how the children learn and understand how things have passed on from generation to generation. I could speak to, to some uh, older Jewish people here uh, in South Florida who aren't very religious at all, who don't practice their faith, but they can tell you everything about the Passover. Why? Because when they were growing up, they did this year after year after year, and so they remember. Another thing that's done during the reading of the Passover story has to do with the second cup. The second cup is the cup of, I trust that you're all saying judgment right now. The first one was the cup of sanctification. This is the cup of judgment. And again, we have a problem because 
We said each cup is a cup of joy. This is a cup of judgment. How do we reconcile the joy and the judgment? Well, what they'll do is as they read through the 10 plagues during the telling of the Exodus story, they'll take a drop out for each plague. And by doing that, they'll show that their joy is diminished because of the judgments that the Egyptians experience. God brought that those judgments upon the Egyptians, and that's how the Jewish people got set free. But they don't have to rejoice that the Egyptians experience those judgments. Uh, and so later on during the course of the Seder, this, they would say the traditional blessing and they would drink this. Now, during a traditional Passover, there's a lot of elements that are partaken of. This is a traditional Passover Seder plate. I have the elements in front of me. I don't know. Some of you might have them in front of you. But the first element that they'll take during the Passover Seder is a parsley. Parsley represents two things. One, it represents the green of springtime. God freed the Jewish people during their slavery in Egypt during the springtime. And they remember that with the green of the parsley. But secondly, it reminds them of the hyssop. Uh, if you remember the Passover story, uh, as, as it was read there in Exodus chapter 12, on the 14th day of the month, they were supposed to take that perfect spotless lamb, kill it, drain the blood, and then use hyssop, which is a leafy plant that's able to retain the liquid. They did hyssop in the blood and put it on the top and on the sides of the doorpost of the home. And God said, when I see that blood, the angel of death will pass over that home, and the firstborn will live. So what they'll do is they'll take the parsley, and again, if you have these items with you, you can go ahead and take that. And they dip the parsley in salt water. The salt water represents two things. One, it re represents the tears of the Jewish people in their bondage and slavery. But also it reminds them of the Red Sea. God did that miracle of dividing the Red Sea so that they could pass through on dry ground. The Red Sea is salty, and they remember it with the salt water. Uh, the dipping of the parsley in the salt water reminds us of how the hyssop was dipped in the blood. Then they'll say a traditional blessing. In this case, it would be Adonai el Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the earth, and they would all eat. Uh, just in case there's anyone eating out there, I'm going to go ahead and eat this. Now, if any of you have eaten that, or if you have the boldness to do this a bit later on, you understand it doesn't taste very nice. Uh, listen, no one is going to be sitting watching a movie or a ball game and say, I need to snack parsley and salt water. That's what I need. That's not going to happen. But by eating these things uh, year after year in this way, uh, they become unique reminders of all those things that God has done. Uh, another thing that's taken on the Seder plate is called the bitter herbs. It's represented by the ground horseradish. And what they'll do is they'll take a piece of matzah, run leavened bread, and they'll take a nice healthy portion of the horseradish. 
Now, again, if you decide to do this at home or if you're doing this at home now, you need to do this the right way, right? We want to have to follow the traditions rightly. So what you need to do is it says you need to take enough horseradish to bring a tear to your eye. Uh, that's, it's not there to torment you. It's there to remind you of the tears of the Jewish people in their bondage and slavery. Again, a traditional prayer is said, and then everyone will eat, and I'm gonna go ahead and do that now. That was a bit of a disappointment. It wasn't particularly strong, but hopefully you'll do better with the horseradish that you have at home. Now, the next item is an a mixture of apples and nuts and cinnamon and honey. It's something called corrosive. And I'm going to describe what's done with it now. I'm not going to do it now because it gets a, a little bit messy. But they'll take two pieces of the unleavened bread. With one piece, they'll take the matzah, the, 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 the matzah and just take a little bit of the horseradish. With the other, they'll take a nice healthy portion of the corrosive. The corrosive uh, is sweet, but it also is supposed to remind them of the mortar that we used to make the bricks uh, in their slavery in Egypt. And they'll make a sandwich of these two together, and by eating the two together, they'll say that the, the bitterness of the slavery in Egypt, represented by the horseradish, was sweetened by the hope of freedom, represented by the corrosive. Two other items are on the Passover Seder plate that we need to talk about. One is an egg, and typically the egg is brown uh, because it's supposed to be roasted. In fact, sometimes in more orthodox home, homes, they scorch the bottom of the egg. Now, why a roasted egg? Well, first of all, eggs represent new life, and in a sense, God gave the Jewish people new life in redeeming them from their slavery in Egypt. But secondly, the, the roasted egg reminds them of the sacrifices. During Passover time, there are certain sacrifices that were required to the temple, but there's no longer a temple. The temple was destroyed, so there are no longer sacrifices. So they have the roasted egg to remind them of the sacrifices that would have been made in the temple. So it's a bit of a bittersweet picture. It reminds them of the new life God gave them, but it also reminds them that the temple was destroyed. The last item on the Passover Seder plate is the shank bone of a lamb. Now, if you heard the scripture that was read in Exodus 20, and if you read through the rest of the, the first five books there where the law is given, when it came to the celebration of Passover, actually there were only three things that were required. A lot of these things were added as traditions over the centuries. But according to Exodus chapter 12, the three things that were required were one, the unleavened bread, two, the bitter herbs. There's no way of getting around the horseradish. And then three, the lamb. The lamb is a significant picture of the Passover, that lamb that was slain for the firstborn. Uh, but again, within Judaism, they don't have a temple, and they were supposed to sacrifice the lamb at a temple before they brought it home and ate it. Uh, since there are no there's no temple, there's no sacrifice, most Jewish people won't eat lamb 
at Passover time. There's a few uh, small groups that still will, but most of them, the vast majority of them won't. Uh, but the lamb needs to be represented. It's one of the required elements. So they'll still have the shame bone of the lamb there to remind them of the lamb that was slain for the firstborn. Now, traditionally, at this point, they will have the meal, and the meal in the Jewish home is like any holiday meal in any home. Uh, you have the, the big three Fs. You have a lot of food, you have a lot of family, and typically you have a lot of fighting. That's just the nature of things. Uh, but as far as the food goes, there's some unique things. One, all the ingredients would be unleavened. You wouldn't have any dinner rolls. You wouldn't have any leavened desserts. Uh, there wouldn't be anything of, of that nature there. And then secondly, uh, you wouldn't have lamb. The vast majority of Jewish people will have chicken or turkey or brisket or some other dish, but they wouldn't have lamb. After the dinner, the most significant thing for we who are believers in Jesus takes place. And it surrounds that middle piece of matzah that was taken and broken. As I said earlier, and in a lot of traditional homes, this would have been hidden by the father. After the meal, the children will go on a hunt for this piece of matzah, and the child that finds it will be happy. Because the father will have to buy it back. And when the father gets that piece of matzah, that valuable piece of matzah back, they'll take it, they'll break it, they'll give a piece to everyone, and everyone will eat. It's the last thing that's eaten traditionally during the Passover meal. Now, let's talk about this matzah for a minute. It came from the, the middle of a unity of three. When we think about a unity of three as Christians, obviously we think about the Trinity. God has revealed himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't the Father that came down to the flesh. It wasn't the Spirit that was manifested to us. It was the second one, the middle one, the Son, that was taken broken, buried, and brought back. Do you see what this piece of matzah has been through? And again, this is not a biblical picture. This comes straight out of Jewish tradition. Jewish people within the next couple of weeks are going to be celebrating Passover, and, and many of the Jewish homes that go through the traditional Seder are going to do this but not see what you and I can clearly see in this. Uh, then we understand, well, first of all, as you look at matzah, I'm, I'm not sure that you can see I'm sort of far away, but matzah has certain characteristics to it. It's, it's striped and it's pierced. Uh, if you ask Jewish people why that's done, it's typically just for the processing to keep the matzah flat so they can put it in the boxes, but we know that nothing is beyond the sovereignty of God. And God in Isaiah 53, in speaking about the Messiah who was to come, said he was wounded for our transgressions, he was pierced for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. And then we think about what Jesus did with that matzah at that last Passover Seder, right? It said, after the meal. Well, this is the bread that's typically taken after the meal. It said, after the meal, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And what did he say? He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What better picture could Jesus have used to point to what he was going to do for us in suffering, in dying, 
being buried and rising from the dead. Um, such a powerful picture. And I, I never want to assume that everyone here has put your faith and trust in Jesus as the one who has died for your sins. But I want you to think about this. These pictures from Passover go back thousands of years, go back before Jesus' time, and yet they speak so vividly of him. Uh, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, there is no better time than now to do that, especially as uh, Easter approaches, as, as that celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead approaches. Um, it's such a significant time for us to take that step of faith. And with everything that's going on around us and in the world today, don't we need that anchor to hold on to? Um, but after the bread, the, the cup is taken. Now, if you've been paying attention, we're not taking the first cup. We took that away. That was the cup of sanctification. We're not taking the second cup. That was the cup of judgment. We're up to the third cup, and that was the cup of redemption. I hope you're saying redemption. Uh, that cup of redemption, that cup that showed how God redeemed his people from their slavery in Egypt so long ago to the freedom of the promised land, God who Jesus gave new meaning to in him shedding his blood uh, to pay the price for our sins. I want you to think about a couple of things quickly here uh, as we think about this third cup. First, I want you to think about that first Passover. We read the passage in Exodus chapter 12, and we can't go into a lot of detail here, but it says that they were supposed to take a lamb on the 10th day of the month, but it wasn't sacrificed until the 14th day. What happened between the 10th and the 14th day? Well, many uh, believe that it was taken into the home to interact with the family, to be examined, to make sure that it was without spot and blemish, not just through physically viewing it, but through interacting with it on a number of days basis to make sure that it functioned and, 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 and lived its life in a way that was without spot and blemish as well. And then on the 14th day, it was taken out and killed. But I wanted to frame this in what happened with Jesus. Because if you remember, Jesus, the, the Sunday before that Passover, uh, we think of it as the Sunday before Easter, and we, we celebrate it as Palm Sunday, but that was Jesus entering into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And, and we see that as a fulfillment of prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, but I, I want to frame it in a slightly different way. That was God taking apart, setting apart his lamb. And then if you read the Gospel accounts, especially Matthew, about what happened that last week of Jesus, he is constantly under the microscope. He's being barraged with questions by the Pharisees, by the Sadducees, by the teachers of the law. And he answers everyone perfectly. So much so that at the end of the chapter, it says they weren't willing to ask Jesus any questions anymore. The ironic thing is that it's the, the non-Jew, it's the Gentile Pontius Pilate who makes the final determination. I find no joke in this man. And then on the Passover, on the 14th day of the month, that perfect spotless Lamb of God is slain for our sins. Uh, think about what went on with that blood. It was taken and the blood was put on the top and on the sides of the doorpost of the home. That clearly makes the image of the cross. 
And then I want to go through these cups one more time very quickly. Uh, first, the idea of sanctification, the idea of being set apart. We think about it in a positive way, being set apart from slavery to freedom. But the scripture set, talks about another being set apart. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, it says, God's arm is not so short that he cannot save. His ear is not so dull that he cannot hear. But your sin has separated you from your God, and your iniquity has hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin separates us, sets us apart from God. And because of that, we deserve God's judgment. That's the second cup, right? The wages of sin is death. But that's an Old Testament concept as well. It says in the prophet Ezekiel, the soul that sins must die. But then we have redemption. And again, it speaks so powerfully in Isaiah 53. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to its own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And because of that, we can move to the fourth cup, that cup of praise. The Jewish people have much to praise God for. Passover is like quite a number of Jewish holidays. They have a similar theme. It's basically, they tried to kill us, we're still here, let's eat. That's the theme of a lot of Jewish holidays. Uh, God delivered the Jewish people from their slavery in Egypt. You read through the, the book of Esther, where the Jewish people in Persia were going to all be wiped out, yet God delivered them, even though his name is not mentioned in the entire book. We have the Hanukkah story, which takes place in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where again the Jewish people were, were sought to, they, they sought to wipe them out, to, to assimilate them so that they would no longer have their identity. And yet God worked through history and continues to work through history to preserve the Jewish people. He is faithful to his promises and covenants, even though throughout their history they've not been faithful. We have much to praise God for too, definitely. God has done great things for us. The greatest thing that he's done for us is send our Messiah to God for us. Um, one other thing that I, I, you know what, I'm just going to speak about one more thing. Uh, the, the last thing I want to speak about takes place at the end of the Passover Seder. Uh, the children open the door to see if Elijah has come. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, Elijah has never come to a Passover Seder, but I want you to keep in mind what's going on here with tradition. Uh, over those centuries of tradition being built up upon tradition, someone had to come up with a great idea. Wouldn't it be great if Messiah came back at Passover time? And of course, the answer would be sure, but the scripture tells us Elijah needs to come first. Malachi says, Behold, I sent Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so they set the, the place setting and an elaborate cut uh, for Elijah, and they looked for Elijah because they're seeking the Messiah. I want to close by sharing with you a painful thought. In a couple of weeks, many Jewish people are going to be going through the Passover elements. Uh, they're going to go through each one of these things. And then at the end, they're going to send their children to open the door. But the vast majority of them are not going to be expecting to see anything. Because most of them don't expect the coming of the Messiah. 
To be honest, there are Jewish people who follow the traditions like the Passover because they're the traditions that unite them as a people. But there are many who are atheists. They don't even believe in God. And yet they maintain their identity within Judaism. I say this so that you would know and you would remember, especially these next couple of weeks, to pray for the Jewish people. The images of the Passover were so powerful, so clear, and pointing to Jesus and who he is. Pray that their eyes will be open to see their own Messiah. Uh, and as we consider this, I, I want you to remember a number of things. One, I want you to remember the picture at the beginning, uh, the idea of the search for leaven. And, and as we go through our lives, especially, listen, we have a lot more time on our hands, many of us right now, because we can't go out, we can't do the things that we normally would do, can't gather in groups anymore. With this time, take some time to go through a search for leaven in your own hearts, in your own lives. Uh, because sin, uh, even the smallest sin, spreads and affects those around us. If there's something that God reveals to you, brings to mind, go ahead and, and deal with it. Pray that the Lord would uh, heal you from that and restore that relationship. Secondly, I want you to remember the bread and the cup, that broken bread and that third cup. Uh, obviously, next time you take the Lord's Supper, I pray that it gives you meaning. But again, we need to constantly live our lives in the context of what Jesus has done for us. And, and I pray that that would be a reminder uh, that that's the context that we need to live in the world. Uh, is afraid. The world is anxious. And, and you know, in human terms, there's a lot to be fearful about. But we don't have to be afraid. Because we're anchored in the truth that God loves us so much that he sent the Son to die for us. And so that we can have peace, that we can have a hope that transcends grace. Uh, I pray that you would have that hope, and that if you don't, that you would put your trust in Jesus today. And then finally, I would again remind you to think of the Jewish people. Uh, our ministry is reaching out to Jewish people here in South Florida, actually throughout the world. Uh, please pray. Uh, actually, Stephen's going to be putting up a, a PowerPoint slide in a little bit where you can see uh, a place where you can go and sign up for our personal prayer And I would encourage you to, to be praying for our ministry. The scripture, when it speaks about the Jewish people, says that there's a spiritual blindness that has come upon them. Uh, I, I pray that you would be praying that those that spiritual blinders would be lifted so that they would come to faith. Uh, be praying for our ministry here, that God would open up opportunities. He has already. I've been doing some things on Facebook, and I actually connected with a Jewish friend in New York that I went to high school with that doesn't know the Lord. And he's still in New York, and he is terrified, and he is lonely. Uh, and I would ask you to pray for him. His name is David, that this has opened up a door of opportunity for me to minister to David that I might not have had before. So, so please pray for continuing ongoing opportunities. Pray that God will give you opportunities as well. And please pray uh, for our ministry in general, because we can only do what we do as churches and individuals like you. Pray for and financially support our ministry. Uh, right now, everyone is afraid. Everyone is, is holding on to the finances that they have. Our ministry is, is hurting deeply 
right now because of everything that's going on. So I ask you to pray, to step out in faith, if you can, and, and support a ministry like ours if you have the opportunity to. Um, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, again, following a break, uh, I'm going to move things around here, and we're going to have a more interactive time. I'll begin that interactive time with any questions you have about the Passover or about our ministry, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Spring Feast of Israel. Lord, we come before you again. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you would work in our hearts now, Lord, that you would challenge us about the things that we've heard, and, and above all, that you would prepare us for what you want to do in the lives of others through us these next coming weeks. Uh, Lord, I thank you again for this opportunity, and I pray that you would bless the ministry of Grace Bible Fellowship, bless the ministry of Joseph People Ministries as we continue to seek to proclaim your truth to a lost and dying world. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.